Amen. You may be seated. Well, the baptism pool was nice and warm. Actually, it was hot, and uh, that's, I'm sweating. I'm, I talked about all the churches have been having church outside. We're going to move church outside this morning. You want to do that? I've already had some people reject that. Say, no, it's too cold. It'd feel great right now if we open the doors and let the wind blow. Thank you all for help who assisted in baptism. Thank you to the Penders for being baptized this morning, being a witness to the Lord Jesus Christ, to you, to me, to everyone watching by Facebook and by social media. They were a witness to the Lord Jesus Christ today, so we praise the Lord for that. I told them, and I tell everyone, hey, you're preaching the message before I preach the message. You're singing the song before the singers sing a song. You're saying that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, that he was buried, and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's what baptism is about. Why do we baptize? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ commanded us to baptize. He told us to actually go and make disciples of all the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And some people, many times we have new members class and some, somebody says, well, I was sprinkled when I was a child and, or I was sprinkled when I was a teenager or an adult. Well, the word baptism comes from the root word baptizo. It's a Greek word and the King James obviously authorized the translation. If you have a King James Bible, I've ever heard of it. The translators couldn't translate the word baptism into the English language because King James was part of the Church of England, and he wasn't baptized. So if you translated the Word of God and opposed the king, you would lose your head. So what they did was actually transliterate the word and just move it over from the Greek writing to the English. So today when we say the word baptism... It's actually from the Greek word baptizo, meaning to immerse, to go under. And so uh, that's a biblical baptism. Every baptism recorded in the scripture is where someone was actually baptized and they went underwater and came out of the water. Why? It shows a picture of Jesus Christ dying on the cross, him being buried in a borrowed tomb, and his resurrection the third day according to the scripture. And the promise is, if you and I have given our hearts and lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, we too will be resurrected with him some sweet day. Those that are passed on are in glory, and those that the Lord Jesus Christ, when he comes back, we talk about the rapture, everybody wants to talk about end times right now. A lot of people are scared and want to know what's going to happen in, in these last days, and I believe we're in the last days. Y'all, we're seeing peace deals in the Middle East. It's awesome to see. Watch what the Lord Jesus Christ does. And some people say, well, I'm not pre-tribulation. I'm a pre-tribulation pastor. I believe the church, I believe the scripture teaches, the church is going to be removed before the tribulation period, the seven years of tribulation you find in the book of Revelation. You say, well, I disagree with that. It's okay if you're wrong. I'm just kidding. I'll say I told you so on the way up, okay? Uh, but we're going to go up, amen? The, God is coming back for his church. He makes that commitment to us, and we're looking for that. We pray for that. We say, come, like John said, come, Lord Jesus, come. We look for his return so that we can spend eternity with our Lord and Savior face-to-face. -face. As a friend talks to a friend, so we'll be able to commune with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this book of Acts, we've been going through. We'll be out of the book of Acts sometime in 10 years or so, where I don't know how we're going to get out of this book. We'll be finished with chapter 15 today. But take your Bible and turn. I hope you have a wonderful copy of God's Word. If you don't want to provide it for you, it's important for you to actually see the words of God. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We come to the place that we actually read His Word and God might be saying something to you. You've been praying about a situation. You've been praying about a relationship. You've been praying about something. And God finally says, okay, now listen. This is what I want you to hear. And today, not listening to me, he might speak a word to you. 
uh, that he wants you to do. I've been listening to Charles Stanley. Every time I listen to Charles Stanley, he gets me in trouble. Because I'm always praying about something, and then he speaks with all his wisdom and all the years. He's, you know, he just retired. He just, he's Pastor Emeritus now at First Baptist Atlanta. All his years of wisdom, he's now stepping down. But I'm sure he's going to be teaching more and more. And, and all of his messages have been recorded. They speak to my heart. And there's a lot of decision-making I've had to make in the years. The Word of God speaks, but he uses him as a tool to speak to me. So he's one of my people that I listen to who gets me in trouble. So if you listen to Charles Stanley, you might get in trouble as well. He'll make, make you make the decisions. Uh, we're going through times of trouble, times of doubt, whatever it might be, uh, be encouraged through the Word of God. So if you have a Bible, let's, let's look at the Word of God today in Acts chapter 15. And I, I was awesome to hear the let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I just caught the back end of Wendy's say so. We do praise the Lord as her husband, not as pastor, but even as pastor. We see God's healing hand of, you can't explain it. You can't explain how God does work. Uh, in a miracle, uh, a miraculous way. It's a miracle, and that's the only way to, to say about it. We can't even explain a miracle. But a miracle for us, church, is God's message. And a miracle in the Bible is God speaking to us. And some of you have been healed of heart disease and other cancers, and you've had to go the long route. And even Wendy, I said, you need to tell some people about your experience. And, and she has a little bit of guilt that God healed her quickly. And other people in our church have had to go through laborious surgeries and, and other treatments and, and she understands that so it's hard for her to say that other than just saying God did it and I can't give anybody else the credit or the glory except for the Lord Jesus Christ so if you've been going through that are you going through it we know some people in our church and their families are going through different things and we know that and, and we pray for them but we want to see what God's going to do and we bless him if he takes 10 years to heal you if he takes you on the glory tomorrow or if he heals you like he did her right away we praise him amen so let's look together. In Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 36, we're picking up from where we left off last week. If you were not with us last week, we encourage you to go back and read this. This is exciting times. And y'all remember the division last week, and I've heard from a lot of you that had children, hey, we had to talk about circumcision last week, and uh, I'm sorry about that. I didn't write the scripture. I just come upon that point, uh, that time, and, and we're going to pick up. That was a division that happened in the church. The Pharisees were adding rules upon rules to the law of Moses. And they're saying, they even said very clearly, in order to be saved, you must have faith in Jesus Christ and be circumcised and keep the law. Even though they knew themselves, no one's ever kept the law of God. Only a holy God can keep a holy God's law. Amen? A sinful man or a sinful woman, boy or girl, can't keep a holy law because they're sinful. Just being you means you can't keep the law of God. Just being you and just being me. There's only one that can keep the law, and that's Jesus Christ himself. When he walked this earth, he was a perfect man. He never sinned. He was 100% man, but 100% God. How does that happen? That's 200%. And the answer is, I don't know. Ask God when you get there. It just says it in the Word of God, and I believe it. But we come to the place today that we just finished a division in the church, a major division, and really it was in the church of Jerusalem. It was quiet. You ever had a problem in the church, and some, so-and-so told so-and-so, but don't tell anybody, and you get home, and you sit around the table and say, listen, I'm not supposed to say anything, but... Y'all ever, ever did that, huh? And it passes on. Before you know it, the whole community knows it, and there's an uproar if something happens. And it happened to us this year. Let me just tell you a good example. We committed as a church. Did we not church? You can say amen if you were here three years ago. We committed as a church. In three years, we will review is Town Creek Christian Academy and Town Creek Christian Academy Preschool, is it something that we feel that God's leading us to continue in the future? Did we not agree to that? We said in three years we'll look at it. And we'll, we'll, we voted. We said yes. Three years. We'll give it a shot for three years. In three years, we will look at it and see if we're going to continue the ministry. 
Well, three years came up, but guess what else came when three years came? COVID-19. And so everybody's panicking about pulling out and, and homeschooling and different things. And it took, us a, it took a dent on us as a, as a financial dent for us. And we had to say, what are we doing? So we brought it to the church that Sunday. Many people who were members of other churches but came to our school wanted to know, tell us right now what you're doing. We heard you're closing. That was spread throughout the community. Town Creek Christian Academy, Town Creek Christian Academy Preschool is closing. Well, we were not planning on closing, but we couldn't make that decision. Where were we going to close? We couldn't make a decision until the Sunday that we voted yet again, right? We had to keep our commitment to the church because I told you before, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. That's what the Bible teaches. I believe the pastoral staff, the Bible teaches the pastor is the leader of the church. But the authority of the church is right here. It's you as the members of the church. And in South Carolina, you've got to be 18 or older to be an official member of a church. In the Bible, you've got to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. That makes you a member of the church. But the churches in America have incorporated, so you've got to be 18 or older to be a member of Town Creek Baptist Church. And you've got to be a professing Christian. You've got to go through a new members class. But we had to wait until the membership said so before we told anyone else. Because people were saying, are you closing? And I'm like, I don't know. We don't plan to. As leadership, we don't plan to. But the church is going to make a decision. And that Sunday that we voted, if a majority of people said in here, close the school, guess what we would have done? We would have closed the school. If a majority would have said it closed the preschool, guess what we would have done? We would have closed the preschool because that's what our bylaws said, and we keep our word to what we say to one another. Is that true? Some people say, you're the pastor. Just keep on keeping on. Don't say anything to anybody and just keep on. No one will notice. Well, there's a couple people that will notice. You know who it is? Primarily, God would notice, right? He wants us to be people of our word. Number two, I would know. How could I stand up before you knowing that I'm deceiving or lying? Because we said in three years and we kept our word. And, and God was faithful and the church said, keep on, keep it on. It's been rough. Derek's out of town this weekend, but it's been a tough time since then. But God's blessed. Our checking account of the church has exceeded, it's even doubled what we actually normally have to keep in as what's called normal. It's been a blessing. Now, we're not promised that. We know there's, there's, there's dividends that come in, there's payments that come in. Obviously, in certain months, better than others. Keep giving. I want to encourage you to keep giving because ministry is going out. The penders come to us, obviously, through the school, right? I mean, there's some, some ministry that God has continued to bless the community as he blesses us. We have the opportunity to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. We celebrate what God's doing. But as people would have it, three years we were keeping our word. COVID-19 hits, right? Economic status starts dropping. People start losing their jobs. And people are panicking in the community. Other people that aren't members of our church saying, hey, tell us now, are you closing the school? And I'm like, I'll tell you after Sunday. Because I didn't know. Right? I have one vote like you have one vote. I, I, I don't have a bullish vote. I have a vote. And we as a people said we would continue. But that's how rumors can spread with one person starting one rumor and telling another person, and it can actually destroy even a ministry that's actually productive and, and if you will, profitable for the kingdom for God. Well, these Pharisees were causing trouble. And so you got Peter, Paul, Barnabas, James, Silas, and Judas all saying the same thing, hey, listen, you do not have to be circumcised. That's actually man-made. People left our church and they went and said something about our church that's not true. We did not endorse those teachings. You do not have to be circumcised. You do not have to keep the law. By faith, you must receive, listen, the grace that's been poured out upon you. That's what he said. That's what they all said. So the early church, if you look at your notes, and I'm going to give you the first paragraph, and then I want to go back to the Word of God. The early church celebrated a victory of unity. 
when they finally made this, it's called the Jerusalem Council, and I never knew what this was until I was in my 20s or 30s. It's right here in the Bible, but I thought it was some special weird thing that happened overseas somewhere, and it really was. It happened in Jerusalem. This is the Jerusalem Council. Have you ever seen a theologian talk about it? He's not talking over your head. He's just saying there's a group that got together. This is the Council of Believers here and the leaders in Jerusalem. They celebrated the victory of unity. God placed a burden on Paul's heart after this was celebrated. Like a loving father, he wanted to check on the new believers he discipled on his first missionary journey because he just completed his first missionary journey by getting back to the church in Jerusalem from hearing from the elders and the apostles. Paul's second missionary journey began ignited in controversy within the church. You come out of one controversy and guess what happens? He's writing to another one. Why? Because every time God's at work, the devil tries to get him busy and mess people up. Is that true? And when God's working, revival's happening, people being saved, people being baptized, the devil always tries to sneak in and bring a wolf, right, that's dressed like a sheep and comes sit among us. There's people who want to come in and destroy the church. The Bible says so. Jesus said so. Paul said so. Hey, they're around you. They want to come in. They want to be part of the fellowship, and they want to devour the sheep. They look just like you. They look like me. They sing like you. They sing like me. They pray like you publicly, right? They pray like me publicly, but behind the scenes, they hate God with all of their hearts. They hate you as a Christian, and they want to devour and destroy every which way that you have. They'll become your best friend and say, listen, we've been friends for so long. Those people are crazy. Let's walk away from those people because they're strange. and They're not popular to our culture. Our culture says, this is how you act. Our culture says, anything goes. And God says, listen, walk the narrow way. The broad way leads to destruction, and there's many on that broad way. Everybody's wanting to go the broad way. But the narrow way, no one wants to walk the hard path because that means I'm going to be called names. People's going to make fun of me. People's going to mock me. Jesus said, bless you when they hate you because they hated me first. What did they do to the Lord Jesus Christ? You've celebrated Christmas, and you've celebrated Easter, I guess. Have you not? He came to this earth to save sinners, which we all are sinners. Just because we've been given birth, our mother gave birth to us, we become sinners. We're naturally sinners. But we're supernaturally saints whenever we give our life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Watch how he transitioned. He transitioned me when I was 21 years old. I knew all about stuff. I'd heard all this stuff my whole life. But when I had a near-death experience in the military, when I fell into the black waters of the Caribbean Ocean, uh, Caribbean Sea, or Caribbean, if you say Caribbean, some people say it's Caribbean or Caribbean. It's both. This is who you are and where you're from. Fell into the water. God, you get me out of this, I'll do anything you want me to do. Not knowing then that God doesn't make deals. Just for the record, God doesn't make deals. Just because you think so, he didn't make deals. But God saved me, my life physically, and then later, just a, just a short time later, he saved my life spiritually. And forevermore I'm indebted to the Lord Jesus Christ for saving my soul because I was a sorry good for nothing. Amen? Been there, done that? And so are you, by the way, just for the record. Because we're sinners. We have no value to the kingdom. But what we do is when we come to the place of actually becoming a Christian, now we have purpose. Now we have peace. Now we have something. We're on mission for the Lord Jesus Christ. Every day is, how do I actually, Lord, serve you? How do I get to the point? And this is where Paul's at. But when he gets ready to go out, God put it in his heart to go tell those people, be strong in the Lord, right? Do the work of an evangelist. All these things he's telling them to do, and we can read ahead because we already have the record. We already know what he's going to do. But he didn't know what he was going to do. He just knew on his heart, I think I have to go back to the, those Christians. i got to go back to Antioch, right, and leave Antioch, go back to, uh, up to the Lystra, to Derby. I want to go back to those places where we made disciples. Remember that place I got stoned to death? He still got 
scars all over his face and his body where he got ripped to shreds with the stones. He wants to go back there. Any of y'all want to pick up and go back to a place where people hated you so bad they hit you with rocks till you died? This is the place. Listen, he's going to go back. God put it in his heart. But as soon as God put it in his heart, Paul speaks it because Paul's going to say it. Let's read now verse 36. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, here we go, the devil, by the way, there's some crazy teaching in our culture today. The devil cannot read your mind. Did you know that? If you think prayers, you pray silent prayers in your mind, the devil does not, he can't, he's not a mind reader. He's one angelic being who can only be at one place at one time. You understand that? God is everywhere all the time. He, omnipresence is God. He's everywhere all the time. God was not created. He's always existed. He's God. He created an angel called Lucifer who chose to listen. He chose to actually sin against God. And the Bible says he didn't leave heaven by choice. God kicked him out of heaven because of his sin. Amen? So it's not God versus the devil. When I was a kid, I told you, like Wizard of Oz, the wizard behind the scenes, he's trying to make all this scary stuff. I thought the devil was in hell with his gear shifts and making all the bad things happen in the world. And I thought God's up in heaven with his gear shifts. And you got two old men fighting it out for who can make good better than evil or evil better than good. Who can win? That's not how it is. God is God. He's not created. And there's no gears or shifts in heaven. Amen? He's on his throne today. And when he speaks, it is done. He spoke this world into uh, creation, the Bible says. Listen, by his spoken word, it happened. Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that it was light and that it was good. He created us. The Bible says, let us make man in our image. In the image of God, he created man and woman. And it was, he was, and she was very good. Today, when you look around, we are made in the image of God. Adam was the first man. Eve was the first woman. And that's our grandma and grandpa, if you don't know any better. Everybody talks about racism today. There is but one race, and it's called the human race. And we trace all the way back to Grandpa Adam and Grandma Eve. But everybody's trying to divide us today because of their agenda, their sinful agenda. Get into the Word of God. Watch what the Word says. This is what Paul says. Let, let Paul, Barnabas, let's get going. Let us now go back and visit our brothers in every city where we have preached the Word of the Lord and see how they are doing. He had a Father's heart for them. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John, Mark, John called Mark. Or we call him John Mark or the book of Mark that you see in your Bible, Matthew Mark. He wrote that, that book of the Bible. And here's the division. Let's watch what, how the division breaks down. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Does that sound like our generation today, the young people? No one wants to work. No one, everybody wants to be on vacation. And they, hey, Just let me blog. Let me vlog my whole life. And you pay me for vlogging. Let me travel the world and you pay me for my words and my pictures. Or, Mom and Dad, I want your stuff, but I don't want you in the house, right? I want your house. I want your car. The young generation today, many, not all, oh, I'm not painting with a broad brush, but many in our culture today want everything for free. Is that true? Don't want to work for it. You want me to work? Listen, when I work, volunteered with the police department, how do you actually take a young man who's been selling drugs and making several thousand dollars a hit and tell him to go make minimum wage at McDonald's. He's had that insatiable desire of having anything he wants at the tip of his fingers, living that lifestyle. How do you take a young man like that and say, listen, I want you to get to the place that you come right and get a job, a respectable job. You say McDonald's isn't respectable. It is. 
McDonald's will pay for your college, right? I'll flip a burger if you pay my bill, right? It's a trade-off. Or whatever job or trade it is that you actually have been called to do, do it for the glory of God. But it's hard. It was so hard trying to counsel those young men. Listen, you can do better. But they couldn't give up the lifestyle. So many of them were repeat offenders and went back into federal prison. Even though they were told, you go back into this lifestyle, you get caught with an ounce of marijuana, you get caught with one bullet, you're going to go to jail probably for the rest of your life or a predominant part of the rest of your life. And yet they would do it over and over again. I'd go to the county courthouse and reach over their mothers, I mean county, ACDC, detention center, reach over their mothers and push the button over the mothers, in front of their mothers, in a small tiny room, and say, Your Honor, we work with this young man, and we ask him to come. We'll teach him how to actually dress appropriately, how to interview. We'll interview him and get several business people to interview with him. We'll help him with food, any payments, anything he needs to get him back up right on his, on his feet and get a good job because they were given, at the time we were doing this program, they were giving jobs to guys that were felons. But he refused to come and even sit down with us. Over and over I had to do this. And I've had threats on my life. Uh, you can imagine if, if you're a mother of a child and I ask, and I push the button and say, Your Honor, as a good citizen, not as a pastor, but as a good citizen of Aiken County, we try to work, uh, city of Aiken, we try to work with him, and we don't want his kind on the street selling dope in my neighborhood. Do you want a dope dealer in your neighborhood selling dope? After he's been warned and arrested? War- no, you don't, or you do? Okay, so me either. And, so, and, and the judge will say, Is this true? Yes, ma'am. Did you go through the program? Yes, ma'am. Why didn't you get the help? I didn't have time. And almost every time that was the answer, and she would rule, or he would rule, I'm going to give you some time. And they would deny their bond, stay in jail. These were, some of these were in college at Aiken Tech and other places. Some had jobs. But they refused to actually change their way. Do you understand? God is like that after us. You and me, he's constantly asking us, hey, change your ways. Look what he does here. There's a division. Paul said, we're not taking John Mark because he would not do the work. He left us. Remember we read in the scripture, I told you it was coming later. He left them and went back home. When things got tough, we said when I was a kid, when the things get tough, the what? Tough get going. But John Mark said, uh-uh, this is, I, ain't, I ain't getting beat up like this. They're saying ugly words to us. <laughs> they didn't know Paul's getting ready to get, almost get stoned to death. They're saying ugly words to us. I'm going home. He packed his bags and he went back home. He went back home. He left them. He wouldn't do the work. And they continued up and did all the northern ministries, and he wouldn't do the work. And Paul says, he's not going with me. He's already quit on me one time. I'm not taking him again. Paul insisted that they should not take him. Look at verse 39. Then the contention, look at these words the Bible uses. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And Barnabas, and so Barnabas took Mark. By the way, that was his nephew too, by the way, if you keep reading. Barnabas took Mark. And sailed to Cyprus. That's his home island, if you will. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and, and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So what happens? There's another division right here. What is Silas even doing in Antioch? Does God have a plan and a purpose? Why is Silas in Antioch? Remember, he's one of the prophets from the church of Jerusalem he was the one that took the letter. He was a courier that took the letter and said, listen, this is from the church. He and Judas, this is the letter from the church at Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas, we, we've endorsed them, but here's a letter from Brother James and Peter. Here's the endorsement from the elders and the apostles. 
And so Judas turns around and goes back home after it's been done. They have fellowship. I'm sure they ate together, and they celebrate it. Judas goes back to Jerusalem, but Silas hangs around. Well, the Bible even says, but Silas stayed. Go back and look in your Bible. If you, well, you got your Bible open. Verse 27, just back up a little bit. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from these things from idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. Okay? Watch what happens. Verse 32. Now Judas and Silas themselves being prophets also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. And after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. So the church now is turning back a letter back to the church of Antioch in the north. Is sending back a letter back to the church of Jerusalem saying, we love you brothers. Thank you for that clarity. All right? And they're sending back a, a, a courteous note, if you will. Verse 33, and after they stayed there for a time, there they went back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, look at 34. This is a God, however, by the way. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Why? Did God know there was going to be a division between Paul and Barnabas? Yeah, God knows everything. He knew Paul's heart. Paul was pretty stubborn. Uh, he was a smaller frame man, we believe, but he was pretty stubborn. He was pretty straightforward, right? He persecuted the church. He tried to kill. He was there when Stephen got stoned to death. The, the cloaks were at his feet. He was a very persistent man. You know people like this today? And Paul, listen, come to the place. Does God know his heart? That he's, uh, he's not going to let John Mark go with him? The answer is yes, God knows all things. Did God know that Barnabas was going to actually, remember Barnabas is the encourager. Did he, did he know that actually we'd come to the place that he was actually going to send Silas, I mean, Silas was going to go with Paul and that Barnabas was going to go on his missionary journey the other way? The answer is yes. You think they agreed to disagree or do you think they were disagreeable? Something you'll notice every time missionaries are sent out, it says the church commended them to the work of the Lord. What does that mean? The church sent them where? Out. Today we, we change the words. We don't say the word commended. Sometimes we do. But we say the church commissioned them to go. Amen? They commissioned them to go. So what happens is, we give to the place, look, they're commissioned to go. It didn't say Barnabas and John Mark were commissioned. It says he just took John Mark and they went to Cyprus. Was he mad? Was the church saying, hey, what are you doing? I don't know. I'm sure there was a bit of frustration because the Bible used the word contention. The Bible used the word sharp. Got it? There was a hard division. Right after they had a celebration of unity, there was a hard division. And then we're going to get in and look and see. Paul takes Silas. He chooses Silas. Go with me. So you got the Apostle Paul and you got the prophet Silas going now on a missionary journey to the north. And you got Barnabas and you got uh, uh, John Mark going with him back to the island of Cyprus. So one's setting sail, one's hitting the trail, okay? No pun for that. No pun intended. The apostles and elders, take a look at your notes, of the Jerusalem church settled the issue of salvation. And they settled it not just for the church at Antioch, not for their church, but they settled it for you and for me today, the church of the 21st century. When they said this in Jerusalem Council, it was set in stone because it was led by the Holy Spirit. Under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, they affirmed for themselves and for all believers that salvation comes through faith in Jesus' finished work on the cross and by God's glorious unmerited grace. For three weeks, we've been writing fill in faith and we've been filling in grace. Do you think there's a purpose behind that? What is God trying to tell us? He's trying to tell all of us, listen, we come to salvation by 
Faith in Jesus Christ, his finished work on the cross, and not because you said so or because you wanted to, it's because God poured his grace on you and says, come. If you don't have a calling from God, you cannot come to the place of being saved. You can't say, next week I'm going to be saved. You will come when he says come, or you won't come at all. You either accept him or you will reject him. There is no in-between. You will accept Christ or you'll reject him. The Jerusalem church, look at your notes again, sent Judas and Silas, both prophets, as witnesses from the Jerusalem council to the church at Antioch. Judas returned to Jerusalem, but Silas stayed in Antioch. Why? I gave you a couple reasons. God had a point. Number one, God had a plan to spread the gospel farther and wider than he had previously done. If you just keep going to the same areas, what's going to happen? There'll be more people saved, but why do we send missionaries around the world as Southern Baptists? Or, by the way, as Great Commission Baptists. Both those names were settled on five years ago. Y'all know that, right? You're going to see more controversy coming in the news about being Southern Baptist. Don't let it bother you one iota, all right? The Southern Baptist Convention was started in Augusta, Georgia in 1825, and the big issue was, can whites own slaves, yes or no? Northern Baptist said no. Southern Baptist said yes. Northern Baptist went north. Southern Baptist stayed south. And now we're both all over the planet. There's been repentance, and there's been even a name change in five years ago, I think it was, that we could be called the Great Commission Baptist. But when we started, the earliest charter we have is, I think, 19, we were chartered in 1859, can't find that, but the church, as us, the church congregation spoke in 1905, I think it's 1905, and said we were called, they were Town Creek Church. So I want you to know this today, we're Christians first, amen? We don't, have, we don't need labels, we're Christ followers first. We're Baptists because we're people of the book, we believe the Bible. But if the day ever comes that Southern Baptist Convention takes a turn, and they've been taking some wobbly turns lately, we won't be a Southern Baptist church. Well, I won't be a part of the Southern Baptist. I will never tell the church that we're leaving because that's a decision the church would make. So are we Great Commission Baptists? The answer is yes, we believe in the Great Commission. Are we Southern Baptists? The answer is yes, we've come to the place where not even when our forefathers, who they started back in 1825, who they were. We've come to the place we still believe the Word of God. So God had a plan to spread the gospel. Was it, does he use division? you got to ask that question, right? Does he use your bad attitude and your divisive attitude, my bad attitude, my divisive attitude to do his work? Yeah, hold your place. I know you've seen it there in your notes. Go back and look. It's under number three. But look what the Romans says. And you know this, right? Have you all read this before? Romans 8, 28. Why don't you go look at it? This is something that you need to memorize, and this is not something you tell somebody when their loved ones pass away or when they lose miscarriage or child. It's true. It's true at all those times, but sometimes the best thing to say is nothing at all. Just be there with the person. Let them know you love them by your presence. Send a card thinking about you, praying for you, whatever it might be. This is not the time to quote Scripture to them, but this is Scripture is applicable at all times. You come to the place and look at what the Word says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Did Barnabas love God? Yeah, it's evident by his, by his lifestyle. Did Paul love God? Yeah, it's evident by his lifestyle. Did they have a disagreement? It's evident by Scripture, so we actually know the word. They were together, together, together. We were best friends, and now what's happened? Because we disagree, you go sailing that way, I go trailing that way. They split. But did God use it? Yeah, because it was his purpose, his plan, that actually they would have the message go, could they have done it without, could they have been disagreeing without being disagreeable? Sure. That's why that's called compromise. We do that constantly with each other, right? We don't always agree on every T and every I that's dotted. 
Look at number two. Barnabas was determined to take John Mark with them. Paul was opposed. This led to a disagreement or contention you want to put in there just before leaving. Since the early church, disagreement among the saints has regularly reared its ugly head. Is that true? You've been part of a... Now, can we let the redeemed of the Lord say so that we've been in a church fight? You've been in a church budget meeting in a Baptist church? It's, they're awful. I grew up, it was terrible. People who argue the most give the least to the work of the Lord. Did y'all know that? Somebody to rip out a dollar and almost stick to their finger to put it in an offering plate will argue about a $100,000 budget, or in our case, a $2 million budget. And, and we had people here that listened and said, I'm not against that, Pastor. I said, listen, do you give more than $1,000 a month? Because I don't know what people give, unless it's a special offering someone gives and says, Pastor, give it. this is for this or whatever it's for. I don't know what people have give. I'm the shepherd of the church. I'm the under-shepherd under the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't walk out and say, I'm over-shepherd, I'm under I have a right to know so we can buy food for the sheep. Is that true? But I choose not to know. Arlene's here. She can tell you. Derek, when he's here. I don't go in and say, hey, Arlene, what does so-and-so give? What, what are they giving to the church? I want to know the gifts. Do I ever do that, Arlene? I never do that. Why? Because I don't know what you want to give because sometimes what people give to the Lord's work, it can make you feel kind of, she looks around and knows what you give. Derek knows what you give. And so what happens is, how do you think it would be as a pastor if I see you out there and you're opposing something and I know that you don't give any money to the Lord's work at Town Creek Baptist Church? You know what it makes you want to do? Brother, sister, if you're a Christian, sit down and shut up. You have nothing to say. If you don't buy the toilet paper at Town Creek Baptist Church, you're surely not going to talk about infrastructure in the church. Is that true? you got nothing to say. If we can't even buy peanuts with what you give, you have nothing to say about the actual grounds and the building of grounds. Sometimes they're not as pretty as they should be. We need to do this. We need to do that. Well, then come and do it. Or come and give. Right? Amen? It's all of us together as one. That's how the Bible says the people that are doing the least want the most. And the people that are doing the most, they don't argue about nothing. They'll just pick up and do something else. They'll help. That's the way it is in the Lord's work. But in churches, we'll argue. We'll rear its ugly head. I'm against it. Well, so long, that's how I grew up. I knew about everything our church was against. But what is the church for? That's what I wanted to know. And that's what I hope we say sometimes. We're against sin. Amen? But we're for the Lord Jesus Christ and telling people about the love of Christ. Let me continue. Though human weakness was on display between Paul and Barnabas, God used it for his good and the good of those he called. Barnabas, I'm sure, went on to preach the gospel. We know John Mark, and I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. Later when Paul's ministry, he's going to say, hey, send to me John Mark, because he's profitable for the ministry. He's going to call for John Mark later on, so spoiler alert, it's not over here. They just mad at each other and broke up. He's going to call for him later. And John Mark, I absolutely record the book of Mark. I call him the ADHD disciple because he's like, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened. He just tells you how fast. In three verses, he'll cover three months to three years, because he'll just tell you everything's happened so fast. Read the book of Mark, it'll go through fast. You're like, how's this happening so quickly? It's because he was jacked up a little hyper, I think, all right? Number four, Barnabas and John Mark sailed to Cyprus. Paul and Silas journeyed north towards Tarsus. Two Christian friends divided over personal choice. Can that happen today? Can I encourage you, brothers and sisters, guard your heart that your personal choice does not override your brotherhood in the Lord Jesus Christ or your sisterhood in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let petty things that are going to disappear, the carpets and the, the, ground, the building and grounds, don't let the petty things that will disappear divide you between a brother and sister. You can agree to disagree. Tell somebody, listen, I disagree with you. That's okay. But I'm not going to break fellowship with you because I love you. Amen? So let's settle that in our hearts today. Number five, 
through proper cooperation, the church in Antioch commended Paul and Silas to the grace of God. The church blessed the church in Christ's name. When Barnabas and, and uh, John Mark leave, it just says they left and went to Cyprus. But when Paul and Silas are going north to go back and strengthen the brothers, guess what? The church gets behind them and says, we commend you to the Lord's work, to the Lord's grace, God's grace, as you go, brothers. Every time they were sent out, it doesn't say Barnabas and John Martin. I don't know if they were or not, but it, the Bible doesn't say that they were sent out with a blessing from God. But Paul and Silas were sent out with a blessing from God. It's something to think about. Here we go, number six. Paul and Silas strengthened the churches as they traveled. Sadly, at this point, Paul and Barnabas worked several hundred miles apart. While Barnabas is in the island of Cyprus, Paul now is in the north, separated. And they had brotherhood fellowship like no other. They sang together. But Paul's got a new singing partner, don't he? Paul and Silas are going to be in prison here shortly, and they're going to be singing hymns, right? Maybe God had to send him another singer. Who knows? We'll see. We'll see that was to come. Number seven and finally, we can learn from the scriptures how we should live. Our lives must demonstrate we are Christ ambassadors to the world. People are watching you. If you say that you're a Christian and you're living like they are, look at our culture today. Our culture will demand everything. You have to accept me the way I am, and that's the end of it. I believe everybody was born this way, and I know there's children in the room, so there's a lot of things I can't talk about this morning that I would normally tell you as adults. And I'm going to ask you this, for Christ's sake, would you stand on the word of God? People say, don't judge me, you're judging me. I'm not judging you, I'm just saying to you what God's word says to you, and it says to me. The list of sins in Galatians chapter 5, and I listed these scriptures for you. Matthew 5, it says, listen, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. That's what Jesus said for you and me as Christians. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and bring glory to your Father who's in heaven. That's a command. That's not a suggestion. Also, in Romans chapter 12, Paul gives a whole list, and we don't have time to read it this morning, but go read Romans 12 for yourself. He says, listen, live a transformed life. Don't let the junk of the world, don't let the music of the world, don't let the culture of the world get into your mind and you start propagating that same junk. Don't bring it into the house of God. Don't bring it into the temple, your body, that's a, the Lord's temple. Read Romans 12. If you're a dad today, you should sit your kids down, your, mom, your wife together. If you're a mom today, if you're a grandparent today, aunt or uncle, you should have opportunity to sit down with people and read Romans 12, start 1 through 21. I would encourage you, don't have lunch until you read it. It's a marching order how we should live as Christians. We're not perfect. We never will be. But there is a way to live, and God tells us to be his ambassadors. And finally, Galatians chapter 5 tells you about the world. Galatians 5, 13, and you go through verse 26, you'll see there's a way to live. Spirit-led living or world-led living. And listen, dads, mamas, grandmas, grandpas, you need to be teaching your children, teaching your grandchildren. The Word of God speaks. This is what you should do. This is what you should not do. Stay away from these ways. And then the grace of God goes with you, the Holy Spirit to give you guidance. Please read those scriptures. I didn't just put them there to give you extra. Read those scriptures when you get home. Spend that time. Read them now. Because it leads to the three questions we have at the end. Does your life demonstrate you belong to Christ? People at your university, people at your workplace, people in your family, does your life demonstrate that you belong to Jesus Christ? Not saying are you perfect, because none of us are perfect. We all have bad days. We all sin against God, and we have to ask for forgiveness. Is there anyone in your past or your present you would avoid if your paths crossed? Because you see the sermon title today, Sometimes Paths Get Crossed. I was talking about Paul and John Mark. Their paths crossed back in when they were doing the work, and he left them. 
You ever, when I was a kid, I used to hear people say that. He better not cross my path. You ever heard that said? Anybody ever heard that saying? I was hesitant putting this in the, as the title. He better not cross my path. She better not cross my path. If they do, it's on, right? You ever heard that? Somebody's like, don't cross paths with me. But, or you can say something, it goes both ways in the South, right? Oh, me and so-and-so, I saw so-and-so and our paths crossed the other day. It was a good thing. So crossing paths can be a bad thing and can be a good thing. But if you burn the bridges that are on those paths, those are bad things. Amen? So when there, sometimes paths get crossed, that's a good thing. Sometimes paths get crossed, that's a bad thing. But what do we do? I don't want to cross, I don't want you to cross my path if I'm angry with you. Why? Because I might have to speak to you. You ever been in a grocery store and you saw something? You go over to the bean aisle and you don't even need beans. You go over to the milk, dairy, you don't even need dairy because you don't want to talk to that person. It ought not be that way between Christians. I've had to eat a lot of crow. There's people who's left their church, they're mad at me, just mad at me for things that was not even, some of it was not even true. Some of it was true because we were making changes. And the spouses will hug Wendy in the grocery store and I just sit there and have to eat crow. I'm not being hugged. I'm being, they, they love Wendy, but they don't, still, they don't have that passion for me. You ever been there? Well, here's the deal. I have to love no matter what, right? I might not like your ways, and you might not like my ways, but you have to love me in Jesus Christ. You have to love me anyway, and I have to love you. I love my enemies. I, I love those who love me. The Bible tells us that we don't even wish for our enemies to go to hell. We pray for those who despitefully use you. Did you know the Bible says to do that? Pray for those who oppose you. Pray for those who are with you. That's who we are as Christians. We're, we're weird people. We have a weird standard, and the standard comes from Jesus Christ. Last question. Listen, this is the biggest question, I think, on your page that you have in notes. If you look, do you have room in your heart for forgiveness? That's why you don't want somebody's path across yours. It's because you haven't forgiven. Maybe it's somebody from your past when you were a child, or maybe it's a divorce situation. or maybe, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's an old boss. Maybe it's current. But it's a room to forgive those people in your past. It could be your father, your mother. It could be family. Is a room to forgive in your life that you can move forward. Because forgiveness is like this. Remember when we were kids, we had those little cheap, some of y'all don't know what this, dollar stores, what we call it today, handset handcuffs. They were gray plastic handcuffs. You could snap them like that. Or you just pull them apart real easy. But we as kids were like, oh, so hard. We would, we would escape out of jail. We had those little plastic keys, and we'd stick in there and just unlock it and like, and run out. And we were the bad guys, and we would escape jail. Did you ever, no one did that. Why are y'all looking at me like that? Who, who did that? Just let me see a show. Who actually? Oh, good. All right. All right. So you escape and you run away and you're the bad guy and you got away with everything and the cops come looking for you. We played that cops and robbers all the time. What a terrible game for kids to play, isn't it? Anyway, forgiveness is that same way, but it's invisible. You have a set of invisible handcuffs that you will not, you will not forgive. I will not forgive him. I will not forgive her no matter what. And you have the key. And God says to forgive. All you have to do is unlock it and be set free. So when your paths do cross, like Paul and John Mark is going to in the future, you're going to read about them in the book of Acts. Paul says, send to me John Mark. He's profitable for the ministry. Something about restoring one another and forgiving one another is extremely powerful. It's the work of God. Is it hard? Absolutely hard. But can you do it? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do it. He'll help you. If you ask him, he'll help you. I promise, based on his word, he'll help you. What if they don't forgive me, Pastor? That's not your job. You're not God. You can't make somebody forgive you. 
Or if you need to make it right, will you forgive me? And they say, no, I won't forgive you. That's on them now, right? What do you do? Fine. That's not what we do. We say, I'm going to pray for you. And we walk away. And we offer a prayer to the Lord. Thank you, God, that I'm set free. Please set my friend, my brother, my sister, my aunt, my uncle, whomever it might be. Please, Lord, set them free. And if they already passed away, it's harder when they're, when they're passed on. I'm not telling you to go to a graveyard and ask a grave to forgive you. But you sit down with God and the Word of God. I believe you can sit down just like this and say, God, I had this horrible feeling. I had this horrible unforgiveness with so-and-so. And, Father, I know you're here. They're not here anymore. They could be in heaven or in hell. But, Father, I need to forgive. Help me forgive them. And I, I would verbalize it. Lord, I forgive so-and-so. I forgive whomever it might be. Before you, I forgive them. Thank you for setting me free. Church, I want to tell you, he'll set you free. And you won't have to worry about whose paths you cross in the future. It'll be a good thing instead of a negative thing. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, Lord, Paul was a, a godly man, but yet he had opinions. <laughs> Barnabas was a godly man, and he had opinions. And, Lord, we see this after a major celebration of unity. They turn right back around, Lord, and the, Satan uses our human nature to get in. It felt like we've been done wrong and, and we have an opinion. And, and they did and it divided their ministry. But yet, Lord, we know that you used it because you can use all things, good and bad, for your glory. That's what the cross is about. The cross is the worst thing we can think about that could happen to anyone, especially our Savior, and yet use that terrible experience so that we might be saved. Matter of fact, that's the only way we can be saved is by trusting the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Oh, Father, if there's people that are here today that aren't Christians, Lord, I pray that their eyes will be open, that you would show them that this is the only way, that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Lord, show them the error of their ways, their sinful ways. Let them see how dirty and vulgar their sin is before God. Lord, let them turn their back on their old sinful ways and turn to Jesus Christ and be made new. Help them be restored and be forgiven like we, the redeemed of the Lord, as we just said so this morning. We've been forgiven, and we walk daily with you. Not perfectly, not even, Lord, healthy all the way. But Father, we're in the Spirit of God walking day by day. We so desperately need your help. We love you, and thank you for loving us. And it's in the powerful and the precious name of Jesus I pray. Amen.